0: This is a Music Therapy Chronicles podcast episode with Melanie Weishart.
1: The definition that I used in my research, my operational definition of reflective practice was the purposeful examination of thoughts, emotions, actions, beliefs, values, assumptions, Therapeutic issues and events that are relevant to music therapy clinical
0: practice. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote. I'm your weekly host and a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe so you never miss an episode, and consider leaving us a rating and review. We really appreciate them. You can find more podcast episodes, links to our pod courses, the self-care community, links to all of our social media and get on our monthly newsletter all at musictherapychronicles.com. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to this show today, and you can always reach me by sending an email to hello at musictherapychronicles.com. to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Thank you so much for being here today, spending your time with me and this podcast. I know there are so many awesome uh, podcasts and other types of media you could be spending your time with, so I really appreciate you being over here on the Music Therapy Chronicles. Today is part one of my conversation with Melanie where we are diving into her research on reflective practice, what that is, um, what it entails, how we engage with it. Today's episode is going to be more about the, um, the drawbacks to reflective practice, the Uh, potential negative implications of being reflective in our practice and then next week uh, in part two we're going to talk about more of the the positive things she saw in her research and all the wonderful things that can come out of uh, being reflective and practicing reflective practice. So if this is a term you're not familiar with or maybe you think you are but you're not entirely sure, we're obviously going to dive into that today. Uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. If you are enjoying the show, please subscribe so you never miss an episode. Don't forget to check us out online and on social media. Hop on our newsletter so you are aware of any Upcoming episodes or sales on pod courses or the opening of the self care community or anything else that's going on. So please enjoy this episode with Melanie. All right, Mel, welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Thank you. Excited to have you and to dig into your research, but to get us started, can you tell the listeners about yourself? And it doesn't have to be related to music therapy.
1: Yeah, I'm Melanie or Mel, whichever. And uh, I am from Indiana, Southern Indiana. We are the South of the North, (laughs) I think. (laughs) And Um, I did my, um, bachelor's at university of Evansville in Evansville, Indiana. Um, and if, if Indiana is a boot, it's not really, but go with me. If it's a boot in Evansville is in the toe and I'm from the heel. So we're at the bottom of the boot (laughs) from the Louisville, Kentucky area. Um, and I did my master's at uh, Augsburg university in Minneapolis, And I did their hybrid program. So I was able to complete the program while I worked. Um, It took me a very long time to do my bachelor's, 10 years (laughs) to get a bachelor's. And that's another story. That's a different episode. (laughs) Another story for another day. And it took me seven years to do my master's. So it felt like forever. (laughs) But I'm really happy with um, just where I am as a clinician, loving music therapy, uh, loving my stage in life right now. I have two little girls. They are three and one uh, and they are the light of my life and an amazing husband that I love dearly and supports me. Uh, we recently made the move from Southern Indiana to Mississippi, South Mississippi. Um, so it was a little bit of a hike, um, about nine hours away from our families and everything so that I could pursue um academia. And so I'm the director of the music therapy program at William Carey University in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Uh, And I love it. It's my first year in this role. And I love the university. I love the students. I love the subject matter, naturally. um, And it's just, it's awesome. It's what I've wanted to do for a very long time. And I didn't really think that the opportunity would present itself
0: for another 15 years
1: or so, but here we are.
0: Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. I'm I'm so glad you shared that part about like taking your time, the time you needed to complete your degrees, because yeah. so many people need to hear that. The mm-hmm. this show has a lot of like current music therapy students, um, also professionals, but also people who are interested in getting into the field and are like, it's intimidating. So to yeah. be like, Hey, you can take your time, do it at your own pace. Like you'll get there. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Absolutely. You can get there.
1: Uh, and <laughs> I, there were days when I thought I wouldn't <laughs> and, and I did. So I, uh, and I was also like, um, you know, I have some trauma in my history, so I took time to take care of myself as well. And it was not an easy road by any means, uh, but that I've, I've found that seeking that help for myself makes me exponentially better as a therapist and human and teacher and everything <laughs> yeah. in general. So please take care of yourselves. Anyone listening, please. If whether professional or student or intern or whatever phase, take care of yourselves. That's my soapbox.
0: <laughs> I, I love even just like seeing the narrative shift from when I was in undergrad until now about like, you know, that necessity and Hey, if you don't mm-hmm. take care of yourself, like You know, you are what you have and you need to do that and like, yeah, uh, supporting other people and prioritizing that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I was not always that way. Let's say that (laughs) at the beginning I was not. And it took it took a whole lot of uh, life experience to kind of knock me on my butt and build me back up.
0: So (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, we're glad you're here. I am really glad that you are getting to do what you wanted to do sooner than you thought. And you have so much energy and I can only imagine what it's like for your students to have you like (laughs) leading them and teaching them and like having this passion that's exuding from you. I think I'm a lot for for some of them. (laughs) Good. They (laughs) need to know what they're getting into. (laughs)
1: My sophomores in our 8 a.m. class are like, oh my gosh. (laughs)
0: But that's what you want. Like, I I wouldn't want to show up. I had classes, you know, 8 a.m. where the teachers were like, blah, blah, let's just get through this. And I was like, no, I, like, I'm here to learn. Yeah. <laughs> to learn. I might be asleep, but I want to learn. Yeah. Um,
1: so they're lucky to have you doing that. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm lucky to have them.
0: So let's get into um, the meat of what you wanted to talk about today. Because you have yeah. recently done a research study. Yeah. Yes. About reflective practice, and so I'm just ready to hear all the things. Whatever you want to start with, go ahead.
1: I'm ready to say all the things. (laughs) I love this topic. I love this topic so much because it has been so pivotal in my own development as a therapist, and I just want to like shout it from the rooftops. (laughs) It is um, reflective practice. Isn't you know? It's not the cure all for everything. I I feel like sometimes. We stumble upon something and we're like, here it is. Well, here it is for me, you know. And I'm just going to offer, I just want to offer like what I have experienced and what I've learned to help other people um, that might be in the same place that I was. Um, I was, so I had finished my kind of journey with reflective practice uh, was when I was in my last year, (laughs) my 10th year, (laughs) my 10th year in undergrad, you know. college was the best decade of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I was, I guess I, should, I was in my ninth year. So my 10th year was my internship. So technically 10 years, including the internship. So it was my ninth year. Um, and I had, it's a very long story, but I had um, switched schools and and come back to UE, uh, University of Evansville, UE for my final year and um, was finishing up courses. We, we found out that I would coming back to the university helped me finish sooner than I would in another way. It was very weird. Anyway. Um, so I came back and at that time, our we had a, a new, uh, professor that was with us, Dr. Kathy Murphy, who is now at SUNY New Pals in New York. And, uh, but she was there and, uh, she was new to me. Uh, when I came back to that, to that program, she had just arrived and we were doing a reflective, um, session report, I think after our practicum and we had to submit, you know, reflective session reports afterwards or reflective journal entries or something of that sort. And I remember I like wrote what happened in the session. I'm like doing this reflective report and turning it in. Right. It's just like any other assignment that I have to do client did this. I did this client did this, I did this da-da-da-da-da. goals were this client met the goals or didn't go, you know, you run of the mill report. And she gave it back to me, and had written on it, "I know what happened. I was there." Ooh, <laughs> I was
0: like, yes.
1: Oh crap! <laughs> like, um, so I was like indignant and self righteous, <laughs> and I was like offended. At this comment, like. What and and she was like, reflect, and I was like, I am. (laughs) Um, in fact, I was not reflecting, I was reporting, Mm. and I learned it just such a wonderfully valuable lesson that that semester, um, and that year really under her guidance that you know there's a big difference in reporting and reflecting, um, and those I've we'll write a publication soon. <laughs> we'll write all of these thoughts <laughs> very soon. Um, I just got to get through the school year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, right? But so there will be, uh, they will be much more organized and thought out in publication uh, in writing, but, you know, differences between reporting and reflecting are um, very interesting. And, you know, there's a lot of them, but some of them include, you know, reflective, Writing reflection is, you know, there's there's not a lot of structure. It's, it's ongoing. It doesn't have um, clear boundaries. It's not reporting on the on the outcomes and whatever. It's it's self-reflective. It's not objective. It's not objective. It's subjective. It's beautifully subjective. Um, it's first person. It's exploring biases. It's exploring. Things that surprised us in the sessions, things that surprised us in ourselves as we reflect back on them. Um, it's being self-aware of our our skills and our areas that we need to grow, and where we come from and who we are as we enter the musical space. It's reflecting on the client and their music and their context as their lived experience and all of that stuff, everything, um, and it's so much more than. This happened in the session, and then this happened, and then that's happened. Um, and these were the goals, and these were how we met them. Like, that's all good. That's that's documentation, and we need to do that. I'm not, I'm not gonna let the record reflect that I'm not knocking that whatsoever, because we are you know ethically bound to, to do that. Um, but reflective practice and reflective writing in particular is, you know, distinctly different from that. So that was my first experience with someone challenging me to go deeper, mm. think harder, think differently, uh, think introspectively about this, about who you are, who the client is, what our music is together and separately, how we come into the therapy space, what is happening with therapeutic presence and whatnot, you know, in this space and, developing that reflexivity. And that was a taste, you know, of it in my undergrad um, that I got to experience really for the first time. And <clears throat> so on we go and I go through my internship and it's great. And then I finish my internship, pass my boards, get my first job. Yeah, I'm a music therapist. I actually make a paycheck now. <laughs> right. Um, it's been 10 years. I've been waiting to make money doing this thing. And I experienced burnout in about the first year, year and a half. And I'm a pretty, like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm an energetic person. I put myself into my work fully. I love what I do. I love music therapy. There's nothing else in this world that I will ever want to do. I love it. And totally sold out for it. Advocating, you know, just like involved in professional stuff and, I'm experiencing burnout. And I'm like, so of course <laughs> what happens? Shame and guilt, right? Mm-hmm. Yay. Shame and guilt. <laughs> yes. Because I'm a new professional. I shouldn't be like burnout is for people who have done it for 30 years. Burnout isn't for a new professional. I have energy. I love what I do. Like what? Oh, why? Like, what? What is this? What is this about? And I actually started grad school at Augsburg um, in Minneapolis. And my first, like, it, they have weekend intensives since it was a hybrid program, so I would fly up there for weekend intensives. And our first one, <laughs> very first one, um, my uh, our director, our teacher, Annie Hiderschite, asked us the question in our advanced, advanced music therapy theory. I think that's what the class was called. So I was like theory. Oh, here we go. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I hated theory, but music therapy theory turns out is totally different than music theory. <laughs> and I actually really dug the class. It's cool. Um, but she said, she challenged us. What do you believe? What do you believe about music? What do you believe about human beings? What do you believe about therapy, and healing. So what do you believe about these three things separately? And then what do you believe about how they come together in what we do? And it was, I'm not understating this in any way, life changing Mm. being asked those questions and being asked to reflect deeply upon music and humans And therapy and healing and how all of those interact in the therapy room in what we do. And it was this light bulb moment where I was like, oh my goodness, like what I, I was working at that point in a setting where I was being told how to practice. Like I was being told to practice within a certain approach. And I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want to like offend anybody (laughs) because all approaches, you know, are are valid according to who you are and what you do and what you believe about Mm -hmm. these three things. Right. So, but I realized by engaging in this reflection that I was, I was being asked to practice in a way that was incongruent with who I am and what I believe to be true about Mm -hmm. these three things. And I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, like, what? Like, and I, I felt a new grounding that I had never felt before in my clinical practice. I felt solid. I felt rooted in like this. This is who I am. This is what I believe. This is where I come from. And the power of music is such and such. And it's like this and the power, like, and it just, it all... Made sense and it was like a band of heavenly angels. (laughs) Um, And so I quit my job (laughs) and I got, I was, I was blessed to get a new job and just like quit it willy nilly. Um, And then I realized not every, I'm in a very privileged position that there happened to be at that time a job available to me in a different context um, Mm. that allowed me to practice authentically. Not everyone has that privilege and that luxury. Um, a lot of people are just just lucky to have a job where they are. They've created themselves a job or they're doing whatever they can. So I do, I want to like make that abundantly clear because I realize not everyone, I'm not just like, yeah, quit your jobs because you need to practice authentically. Well, that's not realistic for everyone in everyone's situation. So one hundred percent understand that. But for me, it changed everything, and I've never been burned out since. and that was, 2015. Um, And so the road to reflective practice, I swear there's a point here. Um, My research is is relevant to this, Uh, but the story, the context is important for where where I come from with reflective practice and just recognizing its value in professional development and um, maintaining therapeutic presence and authenticity in our practice and engaging in reflexivity, practicing ethically, uh, which came out has implications for my research as well. So that's kind of how I arrived at the importance of this. and it only got better. you know, throughout my graduate studies, I just really um, engaged in diving deep into, what we do in this great field and all that is there in this clinical work that we do, because I will study it for the rest of my life and I will never even come close to knowing, you know, everything Mm. that is there because it's so rich and it's so deep. Um, And I just, I love it. I can't get enough of it. So as I was starting on this journey of studying reflective practice, I was like, (laughs) why isn't there anything in our field written on that? Yes. <laughs> like what the heck, bro? <laughs> um, there's, I shouldn't say anything. It's not, there are some things. Um, Dr. Ken Bruscia has a great book on re- reflexivity. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact name of it. And I have it here in my notes somewhere. I can't find it. Um, Forms of reflexivity in music therapy, an anthology where he advocates for self-inquiry, uh, authenticity, self-experiences in practice, research, and education—that um, is really a, a seminal text. And but it's an anthologist. so it's, it's a collection of his writings. Um, and he, you know, he talks about reflexivity. I'm talking about reflective practice. And reflexivity. they are very similar, you know, concepts. Um, and that's one of the challenges in our field: is everybody's got a different name for everything. So yeah. there's, our terminology is confusing because I've even had people say, like when I've presented on reflective practice at conferences, people are like, what is reflective practice? And I'm like, uh, essentially, I mean, there's a very wordy definition that I like to use, but there's a ton of different definitions. I, but it's like the act of reflecting <laughs> on anything to do with clinical work, like your clients, yourself, your music, your everything, you, who you are in context, your culture, your origin, client's origin music, all of it. Mm -hmm. Um, excuse me. We, so getting into that, um, just that definition in itself is, is tricky and there's not much in our field, but what we do have, um, are just a few studies on, like some people use therapeutic presence as the term. Um, -hmm. so, uh, there's like books on like cultural competence and shifting perspectives and therapeutic presence and being with that concept of being with um, is a very reflective type of way um, of, of going about practice. So we have some differences in terminology, um, but I I do my concept of reflective practice is very much aligned with Bruce's definition of reflexivity that he actually defines reflexivity in, in defining music therapy, the text from 2014. Um, he says to continually bring into awareness, evaluate, and when necessary, modify one's work with a client. And of course he expounds upon that greatly. Um, but that's like the the small definition, the brief definition that he gives. The definition... I'm looking at my notes, sorry. Um, The definition that I used in my research, my operational definition of reflective practice was the purposeful examination of thoughts, emotions, actions, beliefs, values, assumptions, therapeutic issues, and events that are relevant to music therapy clinical practice all of that. (laughs) And through this process of inquiry, exploration, and critical analysis, new knowledge is synthesized that fosters development as a clinician by creating new understandings and meanings for practical application. Reflective practice can take place before, during, or after and after sessions And reflecting in the moment with clients allows the clinician to respond to the client's emerging and changing needs. So there's reflection outside of the therapy setting and like within the therapy setting where you are present with the client and also reflecting of what's happening in the moment while you're doing it. So this is like extra like layer of clinical presence, you know, that is there. And from the, from my own experience, but also from the readings that I've done, that's a high level, you know, work, high, high level of work that we do when we, when we can access that otherness in the therapy setting. While in the moment, that's really cool stuff, really cool layers. Um, so all of that brought me to looking at like, there's not much in the literature. There's a ton in the nursing literature. I found a ton mm. of stuff. So I was able to pull some stuff, you know, from other fields. There's a lot in the, um, just clinical counseling and like, uh, clinical psychology literature. There's some in the social work, uh, literature as well. And some in education, reflective practices in, in education, uh, educators, you know, um, literature. So I was pulling stuff from different disciplines that are that's applicable to us. And so much of it, I, I, there were sometimes when I'm reading a nursing text, I, I forget that I'm reading a nursing text because yeah, everything yeah. applies so much to what we do. It just needs the music piece in there, you know? And, um, so there needs to be a text coming to you soon <laughs> in all yes. my free time, right? <laughs> yeah. Is hilarious. So that got me thinking, what's in our professional documents? Like, is this just like a good idea? Or is this something that we need to be doing, like that every person needs to be doing? And what is our ethical responsibility? What does it say in our our scope of practice, our professional, uh, our standards of clinical practice our the, the CBMT, um, domains, our ethics, like what, what's out there. So I decided to <laughs> look at all of those things <laughs> and it turns out we, I'm just going to say it, it's my opinion, but <laughs> my bias is that every single music therapist needs to be engaging in reflective practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where I started. I was like, what is our professional responsibility here to ourselves, to our profession, to our clients? And I studied these things. Um, I found that for the AMTA standards of clinical practice, uh, there were 10 articles that either require reflective practice to meet them or they speak directly about engaging in one or more types of reflection. Mm. So that was cool uh, and encouraging. I was like, okay, these are our stand, like this is the standard, right? This is what we need to be doing. And then I decided to look at the code of ethics and four out of five of the principles on the aspirational code um, updated in 2019 four out of the five principles make references to reflective practice.
0: Wow.
1: So that's telling. And then I looked at the CBMT board certification domains released in 2020. 67 items from the five practice domains are relevant to reflective practice. 67. I didn't expect that many, to be honest. I was like, yeah. oh, that one two, Oh, oh. Like, um, Yeah. And then the CBMT and AMTA uh, scope of music therapy practice that they released in 2015 together, the two um, organizations. Um, they talk about client centered care, talk about responsive, like the therapist being responsive to needs, values, and preferences of the client and family. Um, they talk about uh, music therapists must be competent and know their limitations. Recognize when to seek assistance or refer the client to another professional. These types of things are—they require self-awareness, self-inquiry, um, self-exploration of what the client needs, what and what you are capable of, and when when you need help, and why, and how, and all of that stuff. So that's like—I'm like studying all these things, and I'm like, gosh there's such a rationale here for like, for this practice, it is like so relevant to every music therapist. And then I looked at what are other countries doing? What's you know, and there it turns out a lot of other countries um, that music therapists are required to engage in either like supervision, which is supervision, I would, I would call a type of reflective practice be supervision, a very good type. Mm. <laughs> supervision is good, go do it. Um, even case consultation. So that's not an ongoing thing, but like a one-off when you need it, grab a peer and talk about a case or whatever. Um, oh, a peer or a, or a, like, I guess, colleague somewhat higher than you, even like with more expertise or, or education or whatever, um, whatever your supports need at that time. <laughs> and we're not there. <laughs> Well, in the US. So it's just like, at this point, there's, there's nothing that says, like, we have all these documents that say like, that we should be doing it, but there's no accountability. I shouldn't say that they should be, they say we should be doing it. They are tasks that are like music, that reflective practice can meet or should meet I don't know I'm trying not to just put shoulds on it because I don't like should like yeah you know but like we should yeah <laughs> um, I get that yeah um so yeah I'm trying to be like non-judgmental about it and trying to reserve that but uh, mm. it's hard when I like feel so strongly about like the benefits of it um and the need for it's for, for ethical practice and, you know, just like best practice in general. So other countries are requiring this. We are not requiring it as in the form of like having accountability. You know, we don't have to submit anything that says like we don't we don't have to seek supervision. We don't have to. Um, and, you know, your, one of your other episodes that I was listening to, the peer support um, group one they talked about the accessibility of supervision. Like mm. it's expensive, you know, it can be not always, it can be expensive. So, um, my, que- that led me to my research questions. What are the barriers? Like, why are, are, are we doing this? Are we doing, I don't know. Like, <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. Like, and cause I, I wanted to like, I, gosh, I went, so many different directions with where I wanted to go with my research because I have so many questions uh and I I hope that this study is the first of many 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 studies um, that we can really just bulk up our literature and fill in this gap that we have but I feel like I I kept going back to like all these ideas of like what I wanted to do but I, I just kept going back to like but what are we Doing. We don't even know what music therapists in the U S are doing. Maybe we're all using it and it's awesome. And we're just not writing about it or talking about it too much. Um, maybe no one is, I don't know. Um, and we don't know unless we ask. So let me do a survey. And this is the first step in just saying, what are the reflective practices of music therapists? And then what are, what are the perceived benefits that music therapists are seeing? Are there? I don't know. I think there are benefits, but do everybody else? I don't know. (laughs) Um, What are, let's see, what are the perceived benefits? And then I added, I, I added drawbacks. I didn't personally see any drawbacks, but who am I to say what someone else is going to experience? So I felt like I needed to kind of add that question in there. What are the drawbacks? What are the, um, the barriers to engaging in reflective practice? Mm. And these questions kind of formatted uh, or formulated my, my research questions and where I came from in, in asking the survey questions. And we got lots of data and results from that. But I feel like I've been talking for a really long time. So you go.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's all but so much good stuff in there. I didn't want to wreck your train of thought. Um, And I uh, personally, I don't like listening to podcasts where people talk over each other. So I prefer Uh, to take the listening role. (laughs) Anyway, um, and now I've lost my train of thought. Oh, okay. (laughs) Counter implications. You, you touched on this because I read the abstract of, mm-hmm. of your study, and my first thought was, well, yeah, because as someone who also has a lot of questions in life and just likes asking questions and learning things, and that's why I have a podcast, um, <laughs> sometimes people can get so or we I can get so in my head about it you know it's like Mm -hmm. you know oh I could have done this better and this could have changed and this is something I need to improve and this is an area where it's a weakness of mine and like you can bring yourself down so far if you don't have like support in your reflection Mm -hmm. or someone to show you your areas of strength or even like the personal um the self-confidence to know like, yes, those are all things I need to take care of. They don't need to be all taken care of in this very moment right now. Like I need to learn them in my own time and like take accountability for them. But, um, making myself go crazy is not like that's, that's not accountability. Right. Then I'm, in, <laughs> I'm in freeze mode. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah. So that's my thought is, Yes, It's super important. It needs to be done, but also like, don't let it, don't let it stop you and like stop you in your tracks.
1: Yeah. And that exact like response was the overwhelming response that I got in my results. And I was so glad I asked the question because I would not have known. I would not have known if I did not ask the question. And i so glad I did. Um, I almost didn't, and I was like, "No, it would be like really biased of me to ask about the benefits and not ask like if there are drawbacks because maybe people see them." And that was it. I mean, one of the, I I g- gathered one, two, three, four, five, six like over overarching themes um, for that question. I asked it. I asked that question in particular in an open-ended format, just so people would have free freedom to respond however they wanted. It was no multiple choice, no anything. Um, And I did a qualitative review of, or qualitative analysis, I should say, of, of this, just like uh, recognizing the themes and sub themes. And the most prevalent theme, number one theme was negative thoughts about the self. And the sub themes in that were rumination on perceived mistakes and overthinking, imposter phenomenon, second guessing clinical decisions, being overly critical of self, uh, feelings of overwhelm or inadequacy, lack of knowledge of how to improve one's own skills and help the client, and potential for burnout if feelings of ineffectiveness prevail. And that was, gosh. I was just like, had this moment of like humility and thinking about our, like what, you know, what all we experienced because it was so over like that response, like all of those things came up, came up. I mean, survey after survey, after survey, as I was combing through these responses and I was like, gosh, look at us. <laughs> like we are so hard on ourselves. Oh, well said. Man, <laughs> but like man, we're hard on ourselves. We're good at what we do. We're good at what we do. And we just, we have, we have so much compassion for the people that are across the room from us or the table or in the chair in front of us or at the piano with us or whatever it is. And um, I just want us to have that much compassion and that much (laughs) non-judgmentalness. and that much, you know, gentleness with ourselves. I want that so badly for us because I've been in that exact space too. And I know what that feels like. It's awful. (laughs) Um, I once had like during my internship, I had uh, one of my supervisors, I, I was in a hospital and we left the room. I did my session. I was being observed. We left the room and said, how did that go? And I immediately went into all of the things that I did wrong or all my perceived things, you know, I could have done that mm. better. And like, that wasn't very good. I missed that chord or I missed like whatever. I, I really felt like I should have taken the conversation in like this direction. And she was like, Whoa, wha? stop. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she was like, okay, three things you did right, right now go. <laughs> and I was like, uh, like I, I had difficulty. I don't want to say I couldn't think of any, but it took me a minute to recalibrate and like try to pull out and recognize the things that I did well. And I'm like, gosh, why Why is it like that? That's probably
0: so common. I can think of like many internship supervisors who probably have conversations like that, especially at the Mm -hmm. very beginning of an internship. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead as I get more experience as a clinician, I feel like I am able to recognize like, oh, this didn't work. But I can also say to myself, I made the decision in that moment with intentionality and it, you know, something else might've worked better. And so next time I will try that other thing where Mm -hmm. like, as a very new clinician, as an intern, I wasn't able to do that. It was just like, oh, I made a decision. It was the wrong one. Uh Um, Now it's like, every decision has some thought behind it has some intentionality and then we're like, okay, we'll see where it goes. And then from there we'll decide if that's the same decision we should make next time uh, Mm -hmm. or something else should be tried. explored. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, And then the, I mean, the next like drawback, I guess I'm kind of, we're kind of getting into drawbacks, but that's okay. Like that's, that's where our conversation is taking us. And I like it. Um, There was the surfacing of challenging content. Um, Mm. Like people were, like kind of afraid to bring up for themselves, you know, difficulty moving through like an impactful realization in a session or outside of a session. Like if something comes up for you, that's really intense. um, What do I do with that? Because I got things to do and people to see. So we're just going to shut it down, you know? Yeah. (laughs)
0: I don't have time for this right now. Capitalistic push (laughs) forward, (laughs) never make actual improvements, just gains. Suck it up buttercup. Yes. Uh,
1: Exactly. I have so many thoughts (laughs) a lot. Yeah. And like, can I deal with this right now? I don't have time to deal with this right now, or this is becoming emotionally distressing for me. So like for for ease or for scheduling or for whatever reason, like I need to shut it down. And I'm not going to go there because that is a can of worms that cannot be open right now because I have such and such that needs me, needs my attention right now. Mm -hmm. I have paperwork and I have clients and I have kids at home and we got soccer practice and we've got, you know, my, my partner needs whatever from me. And we have, we're buying a house or we're, you know, I mean, life, like all of the things. And we are dealing with so much, you know, in in and out of our jobs. Um, and so I, while I am, I will scream from the rooftops all day about the benefits of reflective practice and like how, like, gosh, we really need to be doing this. I also like really get it to why you don't have time, energy, emotional, ener- emotional energy, you know, I guess to engage in this work because it is hard work one of the comments the responses put the person put it in all caps this is hard work Mm. and it is and if you have a nice cushy job you know where you have lots of extra free time then it's great awesome you you could engage in reflective practice every day that's great if you are like many of us and you are worn out at the end of the day, and you can't possibly think about (laughs) going into deep thinking um, and reflection. Like I get that too. Um, One of the barriers, the, the like far and away, the uh, most prevalent barrier that people said was time, time, Mm. time, time. I do not have time. And I get it. I really, I really, really do. Especially in this new role right now. Yeah, I get it. I don't have time. Uh, there's so many thoughts even on that too. Um, where, but, and it's easy to say like, oh, well, you just need to lighten your caseload. Oh, you just need to tell your supervisor. You just need to fill in the blank. Yes. Just anytime you say yes. just right in front of it, right? Yeah. It's like the wrong thing to say. Oh. Just just do this. Like, have you tried? (laughs) Um, and it's, if there is no, there is no quick fix to that, um, to that, that barrier of time. Um, sometimes it looks like advocating for yourself that you need to do one less group a day at, at the hospital or see, you know, spend less percentage of your time in direct patient care and more percentage of your time doing reflective work or whatever. I mean, sometimes it's advocating that with our supervisors. Sometimes it's just like carving it out. If we're a private practice, maybe I shouldn't have 30 clients. Maybe 27 is okay. (laughs) Maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe 20 is okay. But then you got to put food on the table, you know, if you're in private practice. So it's like, there's so what solve one problem, create another. And it is, it is spaghetti and not waffles And I totally 100% get that. So I just, I don't want people listening to be like, "Uh, easy for you to say, you know, Um, you don't know my life or my job or my boss. It's (laughs) a systematic
0: (laughs) problem. You know, it's it's something we can sit here and discuss on solutions, but until the system is fixed, this problem is not fixed. Yeah.
1: Yes, yes, it is. It is systemic. It is not individualized by any means. And that was very clear in this survey because so many people said the same thing. Like this is a whole culture thing. Yes. It really, really is. So. Well, I thought this was going to be much more uplifting. It's really down and gloomy right now.
0: But... No, we're, we're good. Heart shift. Uh, spaghetti and waffles. I have never heard that analogy. Can you explain oh, yeah. that to me?
1: Um, everything is interconnected. And I know listeners can't see me right now, but I'm doing my hands in a very like interconnected way.
0: So, spaghetti uh, is like the mesh of interconnected, and waffles is like the grid.
1: Waffles is very compartmentalized, you know. Yeah. The syrup goes in the boxes,
0: or syrup yeah. if you're
1: weird and say <laughs> it weird. My husband says syrup, and it is a household like debate. Oh, god, <laughs> it's syrup, son. Uh, anyway, uh, waffles very compartmentalized, you know, kind of thinking like this problem is this, and like this problem is this. And this problem is this. And that's not true at all. Everything yeah. is related and interconnected spaghetti.
0: Yay. Oh, I love that. I love yeah. That. Thank you for explaining that to me.
1: Yeah. I was absolutely. just using that analogy with the methods. I was teaching the four methods to my sophomores uh, this week. And I was, we they were talking about like, can one lead into another? And I was like, absolutely. Yeah. You can have like songwriting in the context of Like, or it could improv in the context of songwriting and like, you know, everything. I was like, spaghetti, not waffles.
0: Yeah, 100%. (laughs) I'm going to use that now. (laughs) Spaghetti, not waffles. This podcast is sponsored by the Music Therapy Podcast Collective, also known as MTPC, where you can find a variety of CMTE opportunities in the form of pod courses. All of MTPC's pod courses are built on a listen, learn, apply model, where you start by listening to some assigned podcast episodes, then move into learning with the assistance of a workbook filled with resources for you to start your self study towards whatever topics are most interesting, inspiring, and applicable to your practice. And then we finish with the apply section, which includes. An office hour and a worksheet to determine how you are going to apply your learning to your personal life or professional practice. You can find all the Music Therapy Chronicles pod courses on our website, musictherapychronicles.com, and you can find the entire catalog of pod courses at MTPC's website, mtpodcastcollective.com. Make sure you also get on the MTPC newsletter for 10% off your first pod course purchase. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it and got a lot out of it Um, throughout this conversation. The idea that I feel like I've been harping on lately, but... I guess it's just top of mind for me that our profession creates workaholics and reflective practices is, is kind of like a um, an example of that, I think, with like a different a different lens, I guess, uh, where like we're always trying to improve, we're always trying to do better, we're always trying to do more, get more done, learn more, help our clients in new ways, like there's just so much that goes into being a music therapist and that can be incredibly overwhelming and disheartening, but it also is part of the beauty of our profession and so next week in part two with Melanie, we're going to dive in more to what that beauty looks like, um, through the perspective of reflective practice. So stay tuned for that again, subscribe. So you don't miss that episode or any future episodes that are in the works. Thank you again for tuning in today. I really appreciate it. Have a wonderful week and I'll see you in the next one. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation and got a lot out of it. If you're looking for more Music Therapy Chronicles, you can check out our website, musictherapychronicles.com, for more episodes, blog posts, social media links, um, contact information, our self-care community, and our CMTE opportunities in the form of courses. Hop on our monthly newsletter if you haven't already and follow us on social media for just staying up to date on what's going on behind the scenes. We are Music Therapy Chronicles on all of the platforms. Please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. They really help the podcast be more visible so more people like you who are looking for this type of content can find it. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to this week's episode and I'll see you in the next one.